Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Southwest Londoner Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Hancock Bruce and I'll be your host today. Joining me for this episode is Reese Tigwell. Hello. And Louis Pusher. Hello. On today's show, we'll be discussing Sutton's rise to the top and Wimbledon's fallout of the cup. We'll be evaluating the performance of the Surrey players in the T20 series versus South Africa. And later on, I'll be speaking with Crystal Palace player Chloe Morgan about her nomination for the football blacklist. So without further ado, let's kick off with some football. Let's start with non-league. And first up, uh, Sutton United had a pretty good start to the season. Uh, Last night, they claimed a 1-0 win over fellow promotion hopefuls Woking. Reese, what do you make of Sutton's chances this year then? Yeah, I mean, I, Sutton themselves are clearly not favourites to go up um, in terms of their budget um, and their attendances. Um, you can see that compared to teams like Wrexham and Notts County, um, they just simply can't compete with those sorts of teams. But uh, it's been a fantastic start to the season. And I think that uh, there's plenty of optimism there, particularly with the squad that they've got. Mm. Um, yeah, because I suppose they're sort of one of those teams that feel like they've been pushing for the like promotion spot for a, quite a while now. Obviously, they had that cup run the other year, which kind of put them on the platform. Everyone was talking about them, but there are some difficult sides that are going to obviously get in their way, like you've mentioned, Wrexham and uh, Notts County. Um, but yeah, last night they got a, a big win at Woking because um, I think Woking are also pushing pushing for the promotion, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, that's right. I mean, um, at the weekend as well, it's worth noting that they beat Halifax uh, 1-0. Mm. And that the Harry Butyman penalty uh, won that game. And then actually, again, it was Butyman uh, with a penalty that won the game last night. Um, but looking back at the highlights from last night's game, they definitely rode their luck last night. I mean, they went down to 10 men. Um, and Woken themselves tweeted that Allegedly, that they thought at least that the penalty was very much controversial. Mm. Um, but I mean, you know, a win's a win, and they'll definitely be pleased with what's gone on there. I think the fact that they've uh, they managed to sneak two close wins in their last two games shows something that you know sides that get promoted can do. So maybe they're in a bit of a rough patch, but they've managed to uh, they managed to get six points out of the last two games. So mm. I think there's a lot to take away from that for them. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the, the the end of the day is they're getting the three points and that is what really matters um, at this stage. Um, and then, so obviously, yeah, one thing that we were going to discuss is that if they were to get promoted, uh, they've obviously got a plastic pitch and that would need changing for league football. There's quite a lot of work needed um, for them to kind of push on, really, isn't it? Yeah, I mean... I think the pitch the pitch cost them in the region of half a million pounds, so mm. that would no doubt be a, a huge expense to have to rip that pitch up again. However, of course, it would it would definitely be worth it, um, and I'm sure that they wouldn't pass up on the opportunity. I mean, there's been teams in years gone by in the in divisions lower down that have missed out on promotion because they've decided that it's not financially viable for them to go up. I mean, I'm not sure what you you two think on that. I think it'll be it'll be sort of quite tough for them because they'll they'll have to be sort of seeing how it goes towards the end of the season and sort of trying to bring together investors probably to to make up the money for the the big conversion and it also sort of blows you know it blows the investment they've already made so I think it'll be a big call for the uh, the ownership to make but at the end of the season potentially. Mm. I mean, you mentioned ownership. I'm not sure what happened with them, but I know their old manager. Uh, I can't remember where he's gone to now, 
he used to fund a lot of the players, I think. Like, so it's going to be yeah interesting to see how they kind of cope with that. Uh, they did actually go top of the league last night briefly, didn't they? Uh, so when yeah. they did the lead, Torquay went down, did they? Yeah, Torquay were losing to Wildstone at the time, um, and obviously Sutton took the lead, so they went top. But Torquay came back to win the game, so obviously they're first. But um, Sutton are definitely breathing down their necks. Hmm. Um, so I think it's, it's going to be interesting to see how that one plays out. I mean, they have played one game more than Torquay, but they're only two points off of them. Hmm. And I think at this stage of the season, they I spoke to one of their players earlier on in the season, uh, Jonathan Barden, he said that, you know, what they've achieved so far has just been incredible. And they're just, as many teams were, just taking it one one step at a time and not going to get ahead of themselves at this moment. Um, so elsewhere in Southwest London, uh, obviously Dulwich had their game called off. Uh, but Hampton and Richmond have been also doing really well this season. So where are they at the table in the moment? I think they're in the playoff position. Um, about third or fourth in the table, I think they are. So yeah, they're doing really well at the moment. Fourth, are they? Um, and some big wins. So they had a 6-2 win over Billericke on Saturday and last night getting a 3-0 win over Chippenham. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's looking good for Southwest London in terms of the non-league sides. Um, what do you guys make of that? I think it's great to see they're spreading the goals around. They don't have any, any players even in the top five of goal scorers, but they're scoring plenty and uh, their goal difference is good. So... Uh, they're, they're keeping goals out. They've only allowed eight so far this season. So I think they're, they're looking pretty good. Yeah, I mean, that's just, they've got the second best defensive um, goal scoring record in the division. Uh, I think only... Um, yeah, sorry. So yeah, sorry. It's only St Albans that have got... Uh, that have conceded less goals than them. And they're obviously coming up against them at the weekend. So that's going to be an interesting test. I think it's also worth noting that um, Ryan Gondo and Nico Muir, they both scored three in their last two games. And um, the last two games have been emphatic wins for both of them. Mm. Yeah, I think especially when we was we were mentioning that Sutton are obviously just kind of scraping these narrow victories. It's very strange to see, not strange, but, you know, to see um, Hampton and Richmond getting these much more uh, impressive victories. And hopefully they can keep that streak going. Because, um, you know, it, it's more insane for us and, you know, Makes them a good team to follow. Um, the only other team, obviously, that we're going to cover outside of the top two is AFC Wimbledon, who we were hoping to see a bit of a cup run. So they obviously began it not long ago at all. Uh, the first round they played last Thursday. Um, I can't remember who did they beat in the f- first round. Uh, Barrow, was it? I think. Yeah. Uh, and they, they only just kind of scraped past Barrow. Um, yeah, penalties. Was it penalties? Oh, I, I know into extra time. I couldn't remember if they scored or not. Um, so, yeah, and then just three days later, uh, taking on Crawley in the second round on Sunday, and they lost 2 1. Um, so, pretty unglamorous, disappointing cup run for, for Wimbledon. Yeah, I think they, they looked quite leggy last half an hour or so against Crawley. So, I think the, the schedule has been the main issue for them in terms of. Uh, regardless of the opposition it was always going to be tough for them to hold out for 90 minutes in a cup draw mm. yeah definitely I mean the that was their fourth game in nine days um I, I mean I don't know if you two can think of any other sides but um certainly from what I've read that's the most I've seen any professional team play 
um, certainly in the UK in the last nine days, not even teams like Liverpool. Um, obviously, with Klopp complaining about those sorts of things, not even they've played that many games. Um, I mean, they did take the lead in that game when Piggott scored, but then a goalie beside a half-time for Crawley ended their hopes for another year at least. Yeah, I was going to mention, obviously, Klopp and, and Ole have, have obviously all been talking about how the, the, the kind of top six clubs have been really affected, but um, and people kind of forget that that issue is is prevalent throughout the pyramid. Um yeah, even yeah. in a normal season, the League Two side plays a similar, almost a similar schedule to uh, yeah. a top four side. Yeah, it's yeah. it's really aggravating as a, as someone who supports a side that have been in in the the Championship for a number of years now. Uh, you know, you play a lot more games in in the lower leagues, obviously uh, with twenty four teams in the league. So it's kind of aggravating, I suppose, sometimes to see people like Klopp complaining about having too many games, but. And Wimbledon only have only had two days rest before their game tonight. They got Sorry, a game tonight I, as well. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, they would have got to play Leeds in the next round. Um, obviously, Crawley are going to get that instead, and that would have been a really interesting tie. But um, elsewhere, obviously, the big ties from the third round draw are Fulham versus QPR, a little West London derby, and Chelsea have been drawn against League Two Morecambe which is probably going to be a bit of a walkover, but, but a good day out for Morecambe, I hope. Uh, and yeah, so yeah, it's, it's some interesting ties there anyway. Um, yeah, for, hopefully Fulham don't trip up against a team that are sort of languishing in the championship now. It would be, it'd be quite a shame after that performance on the Monday night. Yeah, um, they, I feel like, I mean, without giving away that I'm a Fulham fan, I feel like there is a history of Fulham drawing these kind of you know, championship sides or lower league Premier League sides in the cup, and just it's, it's very disappointing. I don't think they tend to, to have too much of a performance in the cup. Like, I've never seen Fulham have much of a cup run, to be honest. No, not not like Chelsea at least. No, um, and yeah, Chelsea have obviously pretty got a pretty good start there. Anything other than a, a big win for Chelsea would be pretty pretty shameful, I imagine. Uh, but I think that's enough on football for now. Uh, so I'll head you over to Reese, who's going to give you a preview of the weekend's action. Yeah, so um, this weekend we've got Sutton in action again. Um, they're playing Solihull Moors um, and they'll definitely fancy themselves against the Solihull side who've been very much inconsistent this season. Hampton and Richmond, who we've discussed, are playing St Albans. We did briefly mention that earlier. That's the top of the table clash between uh, third and fourth. Dulwich will be playing uh, away at Hungerford Town which is good to see Dulwich returning to action after having their last two games called off due to an ongoing issue with the floodlight pylon. Um, we certainly haven't heard the last of that, and I think that's an issue that's going to be going on for a number of weeks. Um, but for the meantime, they can be they can play away from home. Um, and they haven't pl- actually played since the 24th of November when they beat Bath 4-1. And then um, in League One, Wimbledon will be playing Peterborough which is obviously a tough game for Wimbledon against promotion hopefuls. Outside of football, uh, Harlequin's men's team will face Gloucester at Kingsholm on Sunday and the women's team will welcome Bristol Bears to the stoop. Hockey gets underway again this weekend. In the women's premier division on Saturday, Hampton and Westminster play Surbiton and Wimbledon play Loughborough students. In the men's division, Wimbledon hosts Oxted and Hampton and Westminster will also face Surbiton in a double local derby. Before that on Friday night in the boxing, 
on the Saunders Murray card at Wembley Arena. New Morden's Lerone Richards faces a journeyman Timo Line in his 14th pro bout. So you wish him well for that one. Now it's time to evaluate the performances of the Southwest London representatives in England's 3-0 series win, T20 series win over South Africa. So the four players from Surrey County Cricket are Sam Curran, Tom Curran and Reese Topley and Jason Roy. And we'll also be giving a special mention to David Milan, who is obviously from Roehampton. So England, as I say, claimed a 3-0 series win over South Africa. And I think a big part of that we can safely say is down to Milan's performances. Uh, what do you guys make of him? Well, I think he arguably won them the, the last two games with his uh, with his innings. He's uh, he's clearly in uh, really good nick and it's such a shame that he wasn't able to get the century in that last game. Mm. Just uh, didn't quite know how many runs he had to get. Yeah, I think uh, people were kind of hoping he might just go because on the last run, he could have probably potentially pushed for that 100. Would have been a bit silly, I guess, to, to get it for no reason, but... Um... Yeah, Reece, yeah, sorry. Yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, obviously, um, he had a man and match performance in that second game, um, and I think deservedly so as well, even though he didn't get as high as 99 not out. I mean, the series had been won at that point, but in the second game where he got 55. Um, and also, I think the main thing now is that he's ranked the number one T20 batsman in the world. Um, so he over... And he also has overtaken um, Aaron Finch um, for the most points in ICC batting world rankings. Mm. Um, so it's, it's certainly exciting ahead of the T20 World Cup next year. Mm. I don't know what you guys think about our chances next year. Just to add to that, I think in the T20 rankings, he has the most points anyone's ever had. So I, there might just be a statistical anomaly, but I think it shows how, uh, how good his form is at the moment. And hopefully, yeah, he can carry it through to the T20 World Cup. Uh, obviously, that's quite a long time to maintain form. Yeah, I mean, ICC ranking points are a little bit... Sometimes you have to take them with a pinch of salt a little bit like um, foot, like FIFA World Rankings because obviously England play far more games than a lot of those nations. So things like that will contribute to it. But, I mean... To break the record is, is obviously incredible. So definitely wouldn't take that away from him. Mm. Uh, so yeah, obviously Devin Milan was man of the match in the second game. In the third game, was he not given man of the match? Was it given to Josh Butler or? Because, you know, I think with a 99 innings, he'd, he'd, he'd have got that too. But I feel like he didn't and I'm not sure why. Um, but yeah, I think as you, you mentioned, the World Cup is next year. Uh, I mean, I'll be honest, I, I've, I've only been kind of got into cricket in the last year or two since England's World Cup victory, obviously last year in the ODI one. Um, but it is looking very promising. And yeah, I think when you've got players like Damon Milan, uh, obviously Owen Morgan as well, um, I think it does put us in a good position. I'll be honest, who, who would you say are the main contenders? Obviously, England are now the top ranked side, but who, who else are we looking at competing with? Um, I'd say Australia and obviously India are usually always there or thereabouts. So I'd say those two really. I mean, Australia are the second ranked um, T20 team in the world. But then again, tournaments, um, you can never rule that, especially in T20 tournaments, West Indies. Um, they've won it twice within the last, I mean, in the last eight years. Um, 
Yeah, I think it's also worth noting as well from that game that there was more Surrey players in the England eleven than any other county, which is, mm. says a lot about Surrey. Um, mm. Surrey as a, as a club. I don't know what you two think of that. Yeah. Um, so taking it to Surrey, I suppose the, the, the man we probably should talk about first is Jason Roy, um, who's kind of become a big... He's a big staple of Surrey, obviously, and also now, now in England. But a lot of people are kind of on social media, especially you'll see a lot of people are giving him grief as to whether he should really have that, that opener position anymore. Um, so across this series, he obviously went out for a duck on the first game, uh, just two balls, zero runs, and then wasn't much better in either the second, second matches. Um, so, so what do you guys make of his performance? I think it's tough. He's clearly in a bad patch of form, but he's had such a strong history at this point with limited overs cricket for England that it would be harsh to really put his place up for grabs. I think you've got to give players of his calibre the chance to sort of work out to a work out of tough form, especially considering the, the COVID bubbles they've been playing in for the last six months. That you well, you can't really know how players have reacted to that. So I think you have to give someone with as much um, a much of a, as much of a history with the team a chance to uh, figure it out really. Yeah, I mean, if he's managed only fifty six runs in his previous eight ODI and two twenty games, which is slightly worrying really. Um, and I think when you watched him in those games against South Africa, it was sort of three frantic innings, and I think especially with the media and like you say, people on Twitter um, and so other social media outlets, you can see that he's under a lot of pressure and there are also a number of other players that can be brought in or shifted up the batting lineup to bring in instead of him. Um, I think the main problem with Roy at the moment is just lack of cricket because he wasn't involved in those tests against uh, West Indies and Pakistan. So he, he last played in the Surrey's T20 Blast final. But before that, he hadn't played that much. Um, and also, it's worth noting that he, he struggles against spin. So, again, it's interesting that he averages below 21 against all types of spin in, in 2020 since January 2018. Um, and in that series, in particular, Linda, South Africa's um, spinner, was the latest to cause him concerns. Um, I'm not sure what you two think. Doesn't, doesn't bode well for uh, going to India next year then? No, absolutely. And I think um, there is plenty of optimism though because um, he does in, hold England's highest ever um, score in one-day international cricket um, when he got 180 at the MCG in January of 2018. So... He's also got nine ODI centuries. So, I mean, the quality is definitely there. I think it's just, it's more of confidence and um, playing time. But, uh, but I think those things will come back to him. Mm -hmm. um, and then, I mean, so yeah, you've kind of mentioned earlier, well, before we start recording, you actually mentioned that obviously they've got the ODI series now against South Africa. I think that's going to be a big, big moment for Roy to kind of step up. As you mentioned, his his stats and ODI are uh, obviously he's quite historically a great player for England. So I think it is going to be really important for him to kind of finish this year on a high um, ahead of such a busy schedule next year. Um, I think it will help him because 
with the slightly longer format, he'll have slightly more of a chance to be patient and uh, work his way in a little bit. Because obviously with T20, you if you don't have your eye in straight away, you're sort of doomed to fail. But with the ODIs, he'll at least have a couple of overs to to see the ball, maybe get used to the pitch a bit more. So that, that maybe bodes better for uh, his chances, I'd say. Yeah, and I think that we saw that um, at the ODI World Cup in England where he had a number of good performances, um, including that 153 he got against Bangladesh in Cardiff. Um, and also I think it's worth noting that, again, like we, were, we are playing in South Africa, so it's not his home turf. And although it is a young South Africa side who are in transition and definitely nowhere near the level that they've been at in, in the past decade or so, um, when you're not regularly playing in those countries on those pitches, it, it can be it can be testing. Mm. Um, but I think he'll be fine. I think it's just, as I say, it's just the more game time he gets back under his belt. I mean, these are strange times for cricket, like with the COVID bubble and stuff. And I think a lot of players um, tr- are desperately trying to adapt to these strange circumstances. Um, so, yeah, as we mentioned, there is three other Surrey players we should probably give a brief mention to. Um, well, we can't say too much about Reese Topley. didn't really, really feature. Uh, and Tom Curran wasn't, you know, wasn't too exciting. But Sam Curran had a pretty good opening match, uh, three wickets. And then, obviously, uh, we got got seven runs and not out. Um yeah, yeah it was quite a useful six in that in that game toward, towards the yeah. end. Situationally, he did a good job there, I'd say. Yeah, I think uh, bowling in that in that first game that was probably his best performance in the T20 for England, mm. which is a great sign considering the circumstances. And as such a young player, who's you know he's been around the team for quite a while, but uh, it's still always good to see signs that he's that he's thriving. Mm. Yeah, I mean. Uh, Oh yeah, Sorry. go away, Reese. <laughs> you got. No, I think as well that they both come off the back of two. They both had good performances in the IPL this year, um, which has obviously given them confidence going into this series. But also as well, um, they've both sort of been fringe players over the years. Um, I think now they're both starting to cement their place in in the starting lineup, and I think they'll definitely be uh, not only in the squad but playing. Um, in the T20 World Cup next year. Um, I'd be slightly more concerned about uh, Tom Curran because he's not quite as young. The The question of his potential isn't really there anymore. So he really sort of has to switch it on. Otherwise, someone someone will fill his shoes. Yeah, I think I just expected a bit. I mean, after that that first match where, where Sam was so good uh, and Tom was pretty good too as well. I think he got a wicket himself and he got a wicket in the second match. Um, I did expect a little bit more of them in the third third match. It was a bit of an underwhelming bowling performance. Um, the only notable thing is obviously Chris Jordan, I think is now England's uh, record T20 wicket taker. I could be wrong in saying that, but um, I know he set some sort of record this week. Um, but yeah, we should probably draw a close to the cricket and head back to football. Uh, and for that, I spoke with Crystal Palace player Chloe Morgan, who has been named on the football blacklist alongside Marcus Rashford, among others. Here's what she had to say. Hi, Matt. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you doing this morning? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Most recently, uh, you've kind of been uh, recognised for these efforts with um, your nomination for the Football Blacklist, uh, obviously alongside people such as Marcus Rashford and, uh, of course, Wilfred Zahar. Um, So how does it feel to be 
nominated and recognised for your efforts uh, alongside such names as Marcus Rashford, who has obviously um, got a lot of attention this year. Yeah, and I mean, I was completely shocked. Uh, I had no idea um, that it was happening, and I, I feel very honoured and, and very privileged to be alongside, you know, someone like Marcus Rashford, who's campaigned tireless, tirelessly for, um, you know, children's free school meals. Um, he's done a massive and, and incredible job of doing that. So, you know, to be in a list um, for the likes of, of that man is 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 definitely something. But I'm, you know, I'm incredibly um, proud, and and also there are, you know, I have to also appreciate there are a lot of names that, that weren't included on that list who have done some amazing things this year um you know have been very outspoken on on issues like anita asante um being one of those um hayley bennett was obviously on the on the list as well and mm. that's amazing um annette nelson was on the list and, and that's amazing too and jess Crichton as well sky she, she's been incredible so you know um you know massive congratulations to, to those guys as well mm. um and i've seen you've been quite active on social media recently uh, especially during the second lockdown, about how uh, kind of women's sport in general, not just football, has been disproportionately affected by um, the pandemic and especially second lockdown. Um, yeah. Especially in terms of like getting younger girls involved and like academy level. Um, so how damaging could it be for that sort of thing to happen? Um, well, I think I've been disappointed by the response of the FA Um with the pandemic and everything that's been going on. I mean, the, the, the response that they've had to, to women's football has been completely disproportionate to the response that they've had with, with men's football. And, you know, I think it's really highlighted this year just how much funding and resources goes into men's football as a comparison to, to women's football. Um, you know, and even from, from my own perspective, I was playing at WSL with, with Spurs um, and, you know, towards the back end of the season, obviously things all stopped, but the WSL league stopped and the Premier League was, you know, it shortly resumed. Mm. Um, and now you had a situation with, with this lockdown where the girls' academies were told to stop and the boys' academies were, were told that they can continue. Um, you know, some of the men's FA Cup games could continue and the women's FA Cup games weren't allowed to continue. So, you know, I think more could be done by the FA. And I, I can be, you know, I, I'm sort of fairly critical of those mm. things that the FA have done, but I also appreciate that, you know, some of the clubs maybe need to step up a little bit more um, in, in terms of the, the, the equality of resources that is afforded to, to their girls and boys academies and, and also their women's and, and men's teams. Um, and how is it as a player to kind of keep your momentum going, keep fitness levels going when you have that sort of playing pattern? Um, I think it's been difficult. I mean, we've just come off the back of, of three weeks um, without a competitive game. And I think obviously it gives us time to, to recoup, to re-energise and, and get a little bit more refreshed. Um, you know, we still have training sessions in place of um, games to, to make sure that we're still keeping up fitness and, and strength and conditioning and things like that. But, you know, nothing can really um, replace the feeling and the, the kind of experience that you have from, from actually playing those games. And, you know, we just come off the back of, of wins as well. And obviously it would have been great for us to carry on that momentum going forwards and take that into the next um, week but you know it, it is what it is and, and a lot of the teams you know are feeling exactly the same pressures that, that we do so it's important not to use that as an excuse as such and, and just take that time to, to really hone in on um, you know things that we need to work on at, at training mm. uh, and then just finally um, so that's the team's ambition obviously and then your own ambitions I suppose is that just to keep the momentum that we've seen this year going um, in terms of kind of the campaigning we've seen for like Black Lives Matter and, and things like that yeah, absolutely. Um, I think obviously off the back of, of this summer, um, I think it's been an amazing time for, for people to be more active and to, to use their voices to, to try and affect change. And, 
you know, for me, I've, I've, I've absolutely loved, you know, getting to, to know a lot of people who sort of feel the same and, you know, have been quite outspoken on these issues and, and I've, I've absolutely enjoyed, you know, being more vocal about these things. So I think for me, it's, I feel it's quite important um, to now continue this momentum going forwards and to, you know, continue to speak out against inequalities and, and things that, that I see happening because, you know, if you don't and you just allow these things to happen, then the position never changes and things never improve and issues are never brought to people's attentions. And I think that that's more dangerous than anything else. And, you know, when I, you know, I work with, um, you know, kids in the community every now and again, and, you know, my main kind of focus there is to, to not have a position where these kids are growing up and they reach my age and the position hasn't changed. Um, yeah, so for me, it's, it's important to to try and do something about that now so we're not seeing the same issues in, in 10, 15, 20 years' time. Brilliant. Um, yeah, that's all the questions I had. It's been really great to speak with you. All right, thanks. Thanks, Matt. I appreciate um, that. So those were the words of Chloe Morgan. And I suppose the big thing to take from what she's been saying is the disproportionate impact of the pandemic and especially the second lockdown on the women's uh, side of football, especially when we compare it to how the men's has been supported um, by the FA. So the FA Cup in the women's side, the women's FA Cup, should I say, was suspended and the academies of the elite teams were also um, told to stop, which I think that's that's a very fair point she's mentioned that, you know, let's take a team like Chelsea, for example. Obviously, their academy has continued to play while the women's has been cancelled. And I don't really understand the need to, to do something like that, personally. Um, I don't know if you what you guys think about, about that. Yeah, there's there's no reason that the government should have made that that decision to separate the the women's league and make basically entirely different decisions. Mm. Especially when Oliver Downing has been saying that the Premier League should be taking more responsibility. You know, they can handle these things themselves. They spent tons of money on the transfer period, regardless of the pandemic. Mm. So the government support should have been going to keep the women's side of the sport alive, basically. I, I think they've. I think the choice not to is is a massive shame. Mm. And I think also, you know, she she mentioned obviously the kind of that she feels disappointed and let down by the FA, but also it is down to the clubs. I think, you know, um, as you mentioned, they spend so much money on signing transfers and such that they do have the money to to kind of keep that going. And I think, um, especially in like the super, women's super league, where you have all the teams that are in there are, are rich teams, they can afford to kind of. Have said yeah we can keep this going um and yeah also what she mentioned that she understands obviously that there is health concerns about it but when you've got non-league sides especially in the fa cup this past weekend we saw all the non-league sides um you know uh it was it marine and uh having Waterlooville have all been playing in the last week so clearly that isn't too much of a concern there is clearly ways you can kind of deal with these things um because, yeah, Crystal Palace uh, women's, they haven't played for about three weeks now. Um, and I think mid-season, that is a, that's a big amount of time, especially for, for some teams. I don't think Crystal Palace are a, a full-time professional club. Um, I know uh, Chloe Morgan actually works as a lawyer um, full-time. I don't know if she's still on a sabbatical or not. But, you know, that's a, if you're taking three weeks away from the game, that is going to have a big effect on, I suppose, your playing ability. And also, I imagine there's a bigger a mental health argument as well to be had there. Um, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts on, on kind of that side of it. I think you're right, to be honest. The, the, uh, the women's side of the sport is 
is not being supported in the same way and the, the those effects that everyone is sort of expecting from covid especially on sportsmen regardless of whether they've been asked to play through it or not are going to be disproportionately affected disproportionately uh powerful on the women's side because mm. of the lack of support yeah i mean i mean i think it's just a, another example of a list uh, yeah. as long as my arm of uh, men's sports being or men's the men's side of the game being prioritized over the women's side of the game yeah. um and i think also in covid has been no exception to that um, but I think also a point that Louis mentioned earlier about Oliver Dowden, I think it's worth mentioning that um, forget um, the men's and women's side of the game, just sport in general, I think has been somewhat left behind or uh, prioritised to a lesser extent than, say, the arts, mm. uh, which I know that we spoke about um, the other day when we were together. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think there's definitely a case to be made there. So obviously we saw, was it 1.6 billion, I think, given to the arts? Um, and I know at the time it, there was a lot of people campaigning for that and it felt like that was a very you know fair decision. But then when it came to giving the sports funding, it was 300 million, like a very small amount in comparison. Um, and that's to fund a lot of things, which especially, you know, I think a lot of it went to rugby, which has been affected. And it's uh, a lot of these clubs outside of the Premier League, especially, don't have that sort of source of income um especially when you've you know obviously not got crowds coming in which hopefully starting this weekend we will see the return of uh crowds to to non-league at least hopefully um and another thing uh chloe mentioned in the interview was uh the importance this is obviously going to have on the younger generation um and we've talked about it together before that this is kind of going to be a generational kind of impact that you know, so many kids will have obviously it's, they've had that sport kind of taken away from them, whether they're participating or even just watching. Um, and having taken that away, it does make a big impact. And yeah, Chloe continued to say that, you know, it's you need to take the action now because, you know, she doesn't want to be in a position where in 10 years time, people are, are still finding themselves kind of left out and and not really taken account for. Yeah, I think she's she's obviously being recognised for her work, and the blacklist is a great sign of uh, where where athletes are in terms of uh, uh, supporting their own sport. But it's maybe sort of hides the greater issue of a lack of support from big clubs and the government in general in terms of keeping keeping individual grassroots sports alive across the spectrum. Mm. Yeah, and touching on that. Um, we've kind of seen quite a lot of sports people kind of take that more active role this year. Obviously, the big one is Marcus Rashford. Um, and, yeah, I mean, it's it's been a very welcome change, I would say, to see sports people taking their position and using it for, for great causes. Obviously, we've seen, like, the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, Rainbow Laces is obviously coming up soon, and I'm sure we'll see plenty about that. Um, so I think it is, it's been great this year to see that, that change. Um, Steve, have you have any closing up thoughts before we, we close things up? Yeah, I think just going back to that point that we discussed about funding, um, I think that I personally don't understand how, particularly in men's football, for the bigger clubs at least, that they can say... I mean, there's an argument that it's 
sort of not always their issue anyway. It should be perhaps the government to, bail, to help bail uh, these clubs out. But how can these major clubs say that they simply can't afford, you know, they're, they've been impacted by COVID. Okay, yeah, they may have been, but how can they say they can't afford to help out these clubs or women's football, but particularly we've seen in non-league football um, that they've said that they're not able to help. How can they say that? But then um, while there may have been a reduction in spending this year in the transfer window, they're still spending millions of pounds on, on players. Um, mm. I, I don't understand that. So before we bring an end to the show, uh, it is time for our Sports Person of the Week. So, Reefs and Louis, I hope you both prepared a sports nominee for me, and I'll be the verdict on who I think should have it. So, Reese, let's head to you first. Uh, for me, I'm going to go for David Milan. Mm-hmm. Um, purely what we've spoken about, for his incredible performances against South Africa. Um, I'd say, you know, it's one of his best weeks of his cricketing career, I'm sure. I mean, yeah, I don't think really that one needs any justification. No, I, I saw that one coming, I think. Uh, and what about you, Lou? Who are you, who are you bringing to the table? So I'm going to throw out a rugby player from uh, Harlequins uh, in representing South West London up in Northampton at the weekend. He did a superb job to uh, essentially create three of their six tries uh, to for an, an emphatic win. He had two pretty wonderful kicks to set up others and then uh, finished off the game with his own. Uh, I think it's quite a huge performance coming off a real drubbing at home in the first game of the season against Exeter. To go away and do a job like that is uh, really, really uh, uh, shows shows some character. So, so who was the name of that? That was Marcus Smith, the uh, Harlequins fly half. Okay. Well, I'm sorry to, to say it, Lou, but I'm going to have to stick with, with David Mallon. Um, yeah, I think... Obviously, cricket is is the national sport, really historically, and I think his his performance was, you know, quite 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 something, really. Um, I think he's he's going to be a big part of the the team next year, and quite frankly, I don't think England would have, you know, maybe they would have won, but I don't think they would have won in such a convincing manner without him in the side. Um, but yeah, it was a big win for Harlequins, 49-25, was it? Something along those lines. It was it was a pretty convincing win for Harlequins as well. Yeah, 49-29. 29. Um, and yeah, obviously we'll be talking about Harlequins on the pod in future episodes, I'm sure. But for now, that is all from us today. Uh, you can make sure to follow us on Twitter at SW underscore Londoner. And you can find a whole load of articles, not just about sport, on our website, www.swlondoner.co.uk. But for now, thank you for listening and goodbye.